The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Talking about life in the valley, we're in the book of Mark chapter 9. Last week was on the mountain. There was a mountain high experience where the three close friends of Jesus saw Jesus' glory burst through him. And then this week they're coming down the mountain to find the other disciples in a squabble because there is a boy there that's in need, a child and a parent that wants to help their child. This, this story has one of my favorite verses. I'm just going to tell you straight up before we go, sort of a Tarantino. This father says to Jesus, Jesus says, if you have a little bit of faith, this can happen. And the father says, very honest phrase, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. This father wanted it, but he knew that he had areas of his heart where he doubted. So if you're here today and you're a doubter, welcome. If you're here today and you have questions about Christianity, welcome. This is not a place where people have all the answers figured out. This is a place for people who are pursuing Jesus one day at a time, who are asking honest and real questions about life with God. So we're going to pray and jump into it. Father, we've in, in our human experience that you've created for us, we've all experienced mountain highs. We've all experienced times in the valley, times in the darkness, times when life doesn't seem to make sense, times when things don't work out the way we think they should. Lord, I pray that today we would leave with a greater understanding of what you can do, I pray that today we would leave with more tools on our tool belt that help us walk in you, live for you, believe in you, trust in you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, though. Lord, help the unbelief that any of us have in this room. Give us eyes to see you today in real and tangible ways. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said. Amen. Let's jump into it. Mark 9, 14. If you haven't flipped there, it'll be up on the screen behind me. This is as they're coming down the mountain after this amazing experience. They came to the disciples, the ones who were left behind at the bottom. They saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. So religious people arguing with Jesus people. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able and he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy, the mute boy. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, the spirit and the boy saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. May God bless the reading of his word. 
There are moments in life when you go from the highs to the lows so quickly that it can be jarring. I've experienced one recently, and, and obviously it keeps coming back to me. It took one move of my teenage brain attached to my middle-aged body to say, your life changes for the next six months. I wasn't jumping. I wasn't trying to race a teenager. I was actually playing against someone who's older than me. I've even asked God, Lord, why didn't you take his Achilles? He's older than me. It, it's so odd how one moment can shift our whole perspective. How one moment can send us from the greatest joys to the deepest lows. I remind people often that we are not promised tomorrow. The Bible is very clear about this. We all have a number of days, and none of us here knows the number that it lands on. We celebrate life, and it goes on. We make plans, which is good. The Bible says to plan and be wise. But today could be any one of our last days. The reason I know this is because I read local news. And if you don't read local news, you're probably the better off for it. And maybe you grew up in Florida and you don't realize how much crazy is in this state. I read the news about the lady who kept a pet alligator in her home, eventually ate her. Duh. I can barely keep my five-year-old human from trying to eat me. I've read the news about people going the wrong way on freeways. I literally don't even know how you do that. I don't know, except for the one on the 275 merging thing, I don't understand how you get on the ramp and go the wrong way on the upper deck of the Selman. I don't understand the creepiness of criminals when they get charged. This past week, there was a mugshot going around of a guy who was a serial burglar, and he was smiling in his mugshot like it was his wedding day. It seems so odd to me that we take this life for granted. In Florida, we've got hurricanes that can take us out. If they don't get you, the bull sharks will. If they don't get you, the alligators by the pond will get you or your smallest offspring. If they don't get you, one of the drivers will. And if your drivers don't get you in summer, wait for those people that come down from the snowy country in the winter. They'll get you. You know who I'm talking about, right? The people who drive and they look between the top of their steering wheel and the bottom of their dash thing. Life is fragile. In a moment, everything can change. And in this moment, I can only imagine the disciples coming down from the mountain talking, the three saying, this was the best day of my life. And then getting down to the bottom where there's a father saying, my son has something wrong with him. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, you know, what is all this spiritual stuff? I don't, I don't necessarily believe in these spiritual beings that can inhabit people. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. In our era of modern thinking, we've put aside this way of spiritual thinking. The Bible seems very clear that spiritual beings exist. Some of you may believe in them freely, guardian angels and such. I, I think we might have erred on both sides. I think there are some people who have, who have totally removed spiritual components out of our physical life. We just attribute everything to some disease or ailment and don't even ask the spiritual questions. What could be causing this? Not from just a biological standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. But I think sometimes people have erred on the other side and they blame everything on the spiritual aspects. I, I know it's easier to do. It's easier for sure when someone is being foolish to say they're letting the evil one twist and warp their way of thinking. Sometimes they're just jerks. I tell people often, you know, we don't need Satan's help to implode our lives. We are all fully equipped with the sin inside of us to implode our lives just fine on our own. And in this moment, I love this scene because the disciples felt empowered. And when they all get back together, 
there's this dad, and he presents them with their first problem post-seeing Jesus. And their problem is this. Something is wrong with my baby boy. You know those stories about moms who um, get super strength when their kids are in danger? Have you read those stories? And I don't know if they're urban myths or whatever, but I've seen enough uh, women power to know that I don't, I don't want to mess with that. I think there's a little Captain Marvel in all of you ladies out there. I think there's a little bit of that I can destroy spaceships with my mind stuff. And, and it's weird that you rarely ever hear about a dad with super strength, right? But when you mess with a kid, who are you supposed to be afraid of? A mama bear or a data bear? We don't even say data bear. I don't, and I understand it. Like, in my family, if my wife and I just went in the octagon UFC style and, like, there was no, like, biblical morality, I would mess her up. It wouldn't even be fair. I mean, right now it might be fair. She could kick out my peg leg and, like, bite my Achilles. But in general, in general, she, she's five foot nothing. I, mean, I don't really, if you're under six foot, I don't know how tall you are. You're all the same size to me, just down. Okay. Ah, so she's down. It, l- literally, I weigh 100 pounds more than she does. I could just lay on her. And you're done. But there's that mama bear strength. And I think if you get married, you've seen it in your spouse, husband. And it is a little bit crazy. Because I, I saw Captain Marvel and I've been into all the uh, Marvel Universe theories lately because Avengers comes out next month and I'm very excited. I was thinking about which character, we're all pumped up. I wish you got that excited for Jesus, criminally. Uh, I've been, no, Jesus is not in the movie. I've been thinking about it though, you know, who, who Jesus is in the movie and it's Thor, that's the correct answer, Jesus is Thor. Um, but I was thinking about, okay, in the stream of power, like what are mothers like? And mothers, they're kind and gentle, like Bruce Banner. And they're also rageaholics, like Bruce Banner. If you don't know who that is, it's the Hulk. I don't know what this dad was going through, but it seems so tender. He says, I got it, this, my son, something's taking over his body, and it's throwing him into fire, and he can't talk. And I came here, and I was asking your disciples to do it, and they are useless. And then the the scribes were arguing. They were probably saying, see, look, Jesus' guys can't do it. Why are you trusting these guys? This carpenter, these little followers of fishermen, tax collectors, come to us. We're the professionals. There's this air of religious professionalism that's always existed, and it's a lie. But I experience it all the time. I was giving some of my friends a hard time. I know you're here today. Hey, back there. Last night I was hanging out. It was my first like social outing. I've done work outings, but it was my first social outing with my peg leg on. I went to the birthday of my brewery. It turned a year old today. And some of my friends were like, hey, those people over there, they're Brazilians. And it, it makes sense if you know that my friends are Brazilians. They're in the back right now. I hope they're turning pink. And they said, you should invite them to the chapel because in this chapel we have this really cool conglomeration where I'm trying to get as many Filipinos as possible, obviously not doing the greatest job this service, um, just a little couple Filipino blood we got going on in the lobby. And, but I'm like, hey, if you want more Brazilians, I'm super down because I love your barbecue stuff that you guys do. So the more of that we can get in my life, the better. And um, they said, well, you should invite them. I said, you should invite them. I don't speak Portuguese. I only speak Pig Latin, and I don't think that flies in Brazil. And they said, dude, Go do it. I was like, I'll do it. And then another chapel family was there, and they said, do you want a card? Or they said, are you going to give them a card? I was like, I don't have cards. And he had these chapel cards that we made to hand out to people. I was like, give me your card. And I went up, and I was smooth, you guys. I said, I heard you guys are Brazilians. And they looked at me, and I thought, I don't even know if they speak English. And they did. Not super great, so I might have to get a Brazilian translator for one of my sermons. You guys could do that, right? Where I say a sentence, you say a sentence. And I gave them the card, and they were looking at me like a couple things that I thought crossed their mind. 
why are you a pastor at a brewery? This always comes up. I don't understand why it's a surprise, but it is. And the, my Brazilian friends told me, this is different than Brazil. So I gave him the card, and he seemed nice enough. And I went on my way, and I said, Ederle uye, eyes gay. That's pig Latin, not Portuguese, by the way. But there's this idea that there's a professionalism that religious clergy have. And I need you to know right now, if you're new here, this is for you. If you've been here for a while, you already know this because I I do this often. There is no special access card that clergy have. Pope, priest, bishop, pastor, cardinal. There's no card that we get. There's no, there's no key card that when you graduate seminary, they say, here's your card, and whenever you're praying, you just beep God, boop, boop, and it lets you into this special access room. Everyone in here with faith in Jesus has the same access to God that any clergy and spiritual person has in the world. The Pope doesn't have more power to access God than you do. I have no more special connection than you do. Now, don't get me wrong, some people have practiced more. Some people have talked to God and built a relationship with him more. For example, I can talk to my wife in a way that some of you cannot. Hopefully none of you. Because I know her. I've spent time getting to know what she loves and what she hates and which tool I want to use on which given day. I've built a relationship with her. Now, in that sense, some of us can go to God in a different way. But there's no barrier of of role or standing that keeps you from it. Just because you're not preaching or teaching a Bible study or leading a kids ministry doesn't mean you can't go to God in the exact same way that I can go to God. And I pray that you would. Sometimes, though, you need to reach the bottom before you understand this. This father said, I just need your help. And Jesus looks around. When the father says, I asked your disciples to do it and they failed, and Jesus says something very odd. You faithless generation. He called the whole generation faithless. Have we ever heard of somebody generalizing an entire generation? (laughs) We're addicted to it in our culture right now. Okay, ready? We're going to play a little game. I'm going to call it generation stereotypes. I'll say a generation. And some of you give me a stereotype. We're going to start with the easiest one, low-hanging fruit, millennials. (laughs) That was so fast, parent of a millennial. Okay, let's uh, let's do this a little bit harder. Gen Xer. The best. Okay, Gen Xer, lost and the best. We are the best at getting lost. You know why we're the best at getting lost? Because we're stuck between a Thomas Guide and an actual app. Like half the time, I'm like, what is Google telling me to do? I'm looking at a map, and my wife's like, go to the directions that are turn by turn. And I'm like, is that in quadrant A6? If you don't know what Thomas maps are, you're old, you're you're young. We used to have to carry a book in our trunk. Everyone had one. And when you got lost, you'd be like, where's my Thomas guide? A, B, 14. We're in somewhere near Saudi Arabia. Get out. You just had no idea where you were. You had to pull over. Now I'm like, okay, Google, okay, Google. I don't even look at directions anymore. I literally get in my car, and as I'm leaving my neighborhood, I'll be like, okay, Google, navigate to physical therapy. I changed it in my phone. I I put in the address. I I can navigate to all these things now. So I changed this to happy place. You can change your physical therapy to the place of doom and torture, and you can tell your phone that, and it'll take you there. Baby boomers. (laughs) <laughs> why is it that, that the millennials got picked on and every other generation has someone standing up for themselves <laughs> millennials sometimes like a lazy entitled sack of nothing potato eating couch sleeping kids all of a sudden we're like gen xers brilliant entrepreneurial baby boomers they built this country we are the backbone of civilization and the builders are like excuse me no Killed people, got shot, rebuilt the whole country. Take that. We do this. Jesus says, faithless generation. What in the world? So let's play another game. How are we describing the 
spiritual temperature of the generations that we've seen. Let's go boomers. How do we describe their spiritual temperature? Chilly, lukewarm. Okay, uh, what's after the boomers? The Gen Xers. How are how are we, my people? I'm either the youngest Gen Xer or I'm the elder millennial. How are the how are the Gen Xers? What's their spiritual climate? People born in the 70s, 80s. Skeptical. Yeah. How about the millennials? Why does everyone have an opinion on the millennials? Millennial people here, we love thee. They earned it. You earned it. Um, I'm the elder millennial. I'll take that. They earned it. Entitled. Um, there's this new generation that's out. They're, they're not really, some people are calling them Generation Z. That sounds like a zombie horror film to me. Um, the no-name generation. These are the kids that are coming up to adulthood shortly. They're, they're 16, 15, under that. Gen Z. Z for Zara, for the Diggins. You guys named her appropriately. The spiritual climate changes from generation to generation. It's very interesting. If you, if you take a, a journey into intergenerational thinking, which I think we all should, I, I think it's vastly unhealthy for churches to congregate people that are all the exact same age and demographic and political viewpoints in one group. There should not be a group that's like, hey, come over here. We have a group for you if you're in your 40s. We have a group for you if you're in your 30s. I'll tell you what, I'm in my 30s, 40s-ish. And I don't need to hang out with people that are my age because I read books. I, I barely meet people my age that read. I need to hang out with someone that reads and thinks. No offense to you people in your 30s that don't read, but offended, I hope you are. <laughs> that was just a Yoda thing for you guys. The spiritual climate of this generation right now is this. The, the average age of constituents for churches is late 50s. Young people are generally coming to church less and less. They do church at home if they want to do that thing. That's a new trend. It's a trend to, uh, to watch a sermon with your spouse online and forsake the corporate gathering. And don't get me wrong, I love watching a good sermon online. But what you're not going to get online is a group of people around praying for you. Like as I scan every Sunday, I'm praying for those that are here. I'm praying for the message to impact you in a unique and powerful way. There's others here that will love you deeply if you're willing to let them in. And it's scary. Church is not an easy place. As a matter of fact, it can be very difficult. I read an article this past week that talked about how church is a place where unnatural relationships should be built. Church is the only place where young and old of different political views, different socioeconomic statuses can come together and form a family. Because generally, we will hang out with people who are just like us. My Monday night group is the greatest. My Monday night group is the greatest. Politically, we're all over the map. Age, we're all over the map. Background of religion, we're all over the map. Ethnicity, we're all over the map. And somehow it just works in a weird, creepy sort of way. It does get odd from time to time when Trump comes up. But I love it. Faithless generation, how long is Jesus to be with them? How long is he to bear with us? How long will Jesus bear with us today, your generation and my generation and how can we not be a faithless generation? Because this is, this is what leads you into a place of darkness and pain and despair. You might think it's your bad choices, but all bad choices that we make are rooted in a bad belief about God. Every bad choice you've ever made in your life, everything that the church calls sin, begins with something you're forgetting about who God is and what he has done for you. It's not having faith. 
You might be someone who is constantly crippled by anxiety. And you may say, well, it's, it's not my belief in God is broken. It's that I, I might lose my job. My mortgage is going up because I got a bad loan when I started this. My kid's going off the rails. I don't know what's going to happen when they go to college. They've got no morality. They've got no compass because they're a Gen Z person. That's rooted in not trusting that God is God and you are not. I was so encouraged by a parent very recently asking, you know, how do you parent kids when they get to college? Like, I'm, I feel like I've got a good handle on my kids' ages right now. Ten, I just play Fortnite with them and teach them to be kind and love others and share the gospel. Seven, don't hurt anybody. Five, stop whining. Use your words for kindness. Use your words to build people up and not tear people down. Zero, just do you. I look at some of you who parent these older kids, kids that are like actual humans, and I think, what do you do? What am I going to do the first time my, my daughter tries to leave the house wearing like a belt masquerading as a skirt? What am I going to do? What am I going to do if I ever find out that one of my sons does something atrocious to a girl, speaks to her in a degrading and demeaning way? I mean, Lord, heaven forbid that he, he tries to harm a girl physically. What am I going to do in that moment? I've watched some of you do this, and I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by that moment where you have to let go of a child. And I'm intrigued that some of you can't let go. I know that people blame the, the millennials. You're living at home with your parents forever. And I'm like, wait a second. Let's look at those parents. Those parents never let them go. The millennial parents were the ones who invented kid leashes. In case you didn't know that little gem of insight. Before that, there was no kid leash. I'm not talking about the mental ones. I'm talking about the actual ones you see at Disney, right? Where there's a retractor. And the kid can go 15 feet in any direction. And the parent can lock them out. You're locked to five feet. Click. And then they turn 21 and they come home from college. And we're like, why aren't you leaving my house? And they're like, I don't know. I have this weird desire to be close to you. <laughs> you go, click, 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 click. So how, how do we become a generation that trusts God? As that generation leaves the well-being of our children in God's hands at some point, we, we are wired to raise them up and set them free. Everything in creation does this. They raise their young, they set them free. Some animals even shove them out of the nest, make them fly. And I know some of you in here, especially some dads I've heard over the years, you're all about that moment. The moms are like, I love them so much. And the dad's like a swift steel boot to the head. Get out. I told my wife, we're downsizing every time a kid leaves. If we have Four kids, four bedrooms. One kid leaves, sell the house, three-bedroom. Another kid leaves, sell the house, two-bedroom. As soon as our last kid leaves, sell the house, move to Hawaii. Don't tell them our address. Get a P.O. box. <laughs> You're free. <laughs> what would it look like if we trusted God with our children? What would it look like if we trusted God with our money? What would it look like if we trusted God with our sexuality? We talk about this afternoon how to set up these tools to promote purity and healthy dialogue about sexuality with our children and our spouses and our friends. What does God look like in the midst of that? Are we trusting him? Am I, I'll preach this to myself, am I trusting God to be the Lord of my daughter's lives? For all the jokes I make about them becoming nuns, am I trusting God that he loves my daughters, and I don't know why, this might be sexist of me, but I, I, my mind just goes to my daughters. It's a cultural thing. They just, like my sons, like, I just, I'll beat you up if you do something bad to a girl. I'm not going to beat up my daughter. So I just think, Lord, I'm, am I trying to overprotect? What's the, what's the right amount of faith? And the answer is all in. Faith that's all in. Because, look at what Jesus does. First, he gets a, a little background on the kid. Jesus is like a therapist. He said, how long has this been happening to him? If any of you have gone to therapy, and I highly recommend it for most of you because I know you, um, 
they'll take an inventory. What happened in your past that broke your present? Now, if you haven't figured this out yet, this is very common. If you go to a psychologist, if you go to any type of counseling and therapist, if they're not asking you at least a little bit about your past, you just leave. Go find a new one. Because it's everything that built you has made you who you are today. Everything that you've experienced has put the Lego foundation in your life. Every pain, every joy has built you up. And in this specific instance, Jesus wants to know, how long has this been happening? And I think for him, it's, this is a spiritual, a spiritual ask. He wants to know, how long has this boy been tormented? Because for each unique problem, there's a unique solution. It doesn't always have to be a complex solution. I need you to understand that. But each unique problem has a unique solution. And in this thing we call Christianity, we have a terrible habit of offering canned, prefabricated solutions to unique problems. I poke fun at these all the time, but, I, but most of you can regurgitate them back to me. Many of you can. If you're struggling with a sin, what will a good Christian friend tell you to do? Pray about it. Read the Bible. Anything else? Are those the only tools in our tool belt? Talk to your pastor. Get counseling. Okay. We know that. Now, those are great things. I love prayer. I love reading the Bible. I love uh, counseling. I skip talking to your pastor because I talking to myself. I do that all the time. <laughs> Talk to Jesus. Talk to my elders. Now, how many of you have done that and had your problem seen no progress made? Have a problem, read the Bible. Nothing happens. Have the problem, pray about it. I don't get it, Lord. Jesus, Jesus is interested in the history of this boy. He's interested in your history. He knows your history. He knew the history of this boy. He wanted the Father to communicate to him because Jesus wants to be in relationship with us. Just because he knows everything doesn't mean he wants to stop talking to us. My children are at the age where I know most of the things that are going on in their lives, physically. I know most of the things they're struggling with. When my children come home and they have this great mystery, it's not mysterious to me most of the time. Yet I still talk to them about it. I still say, tell me about your day. I know exactly how Savannah's going to respond. My, I don't know why she's obsessed with this right now. My daughter Savannah thinks everyone has lice at her school. So every day, she'll tell me who is mean to her, who is nice to her. I'll tell you what, if one of you has a kid named Aiden Gregory, we need to talk after service today. But anyway, she'll also tell me, and I saw a bug in such and such's hair every day. Which is creepy, for one. And Jackson will come home because he's a preteen, preteen. Tell me about your day today. Good. Okay. See you later. See you in 20 years. Silas knows that I want him to make friends because for a while he, he was turning into me and just didn't want to be near people. And Jackson even said, I said, who does Silas hang out with? And Jackson said, Silas doesn't hang out with anybody at school. He just sits by himself. So a few months back, I said, buddy, do you just sit by yourself every day, like at lunch and recess and stuff? And he goes, yeah, I like it better. I don't like people. <laughs> you are my child. And um, I said, I want you to make a friend. I should make one new friend every day and, and be with them. And he just like me. Okay, Dad. Comes home every day. This is my friend today. This is his nickname. He has a friend named Kale Chips. That friend needs Jesus. He has a friend named Peter Rabbit. Now, I don't know if these are fictional or not. I'm not going to try to figure it out because he's making something. And Jackson said he's, he's friends with older kids now. You know, if you don't know my Silas, he's the undersized one for my family. The doctor told me he's only going to be like six feet tall, um, which is like the same height as both my daughters but right now. Um, and, and Jackson said, yeah, he hangs out with all the older kids. Like Silas, who's in first grade, hangs out with fifth graders. I'm like, that makes sense. He's like a little old man. He's like Benjamin Button trapped in a youthy body. Now, if you don't understand the history of what's building these children, if you don't understand the history of how you were built, you're not going to deal with your problems in tangible, in specifically unique ways. 
And like I said, unique does not mean complex. But you shouldn't try to gloss over your issues, the issues that bring you brokenness and pain, the issues that drive you into the valley, or the issues, maybe more subtly, that drive you into apathy. The things in your life that just make you say, I don't really care. I'm not going to, I don't care about my marriage. Don't need to work on it. Like, we're good. We don't yell at each other. But there's no spark, no love. The issues that make you self-centered instead of others-centered. You say, yeah, it's just who I am. I was thinking about that phrase because we all know it and I, I, I poke at it from time to time. An old dog can't learn new tricks. And it wasn't until recently um, that I realized why I don't like it. That phrase, an old dog can't learn new tricks. An old dog can't learn new tricks. The reason I decided I don't like that is because we're not dogs. And if you call your spouse or friend or child a dog, you need a different type of therapy, fistophobia. We're not dogs. We're human beings created in the image of God. And as long as you have some semblance of understanding of what your issues are and you can bring some history to someone who has wisdom and biblical insight or psychological insight into your lives, don't settle for a mediocre or bland or apathetic life when you have the opportunity to be connected to this guy who can cast out the most evil beings, who can heal you of the most Uh, destructive ailments, who can save your soul from hell itself. And the dad, the dad, after Jesus says, how long has this been happening? Since since he was a kid, his whole childhood, throws him into the fire. But if you can help him. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? That's the biggest if I've ever seen in the Bible. If you can help him, which is why I like the uh, English translators put exclamation point on Jesus' response. Jesus says, if you can help him, excuse me? (laughs) You know the, the phrase that we've all said to our children? I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Every kid is like, oh my gosh, that's overplayed. Because there all comes that day where your teenage son comes and looks at you and says, I don't think so. (laughs) Just so you know, dads, it's not really a mom thing. That's a son-father thing. And the day that your son does that to you, just kick him in the Achilles quick and run. Bop! If you can, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus, the glory of divinity, just burst through him on top of a mountain. They come down the mountain, and his dad didn't see it, but the dad doesn't get it. So he says, if you can do it. I need you to understand that the games we play in our head, that we all play, we play games that lead to worry called what-if games. What if I lose my job? What if my spouse dies? What if my cancer gets me? What if this surgery puts me under? What if I can't get this thing under control? What if I move here and don't have friends? What if I, this happens or that happens? What if, what if, what if? And that leads us down a trail where we have put ourselves at the pinnacle of bad news. It's very rare. It's a very rare person, with the exception of when the lottery is big, that what ifs lead to a positive idea. When the lottery is like whatever it was, three quarters of a billion dollars, all of us are on Zillow like, what if? <laughs> but usually the what ifs lead us down a trail where we're actually trying to pretend we control our life around us. Instead, I need you to think of if in a different context. What could God do if you lose your job? What could God do if you lost someone you care deeply for? What could God do if everything around you was stripped from you like Job? What could God do if you lost a child? What could God do if you suffered a miscarriage? What could God do if you found out you were betrayed by a close friend or or employer or employee? What could God do if? And the answer is, Anything. All things are possible for one who believes. 
Don't go getting TV preachery on me. Well, if I lose my job, God could make me the CEO of Amazon. He could. But that guy's got to pay a ton of alimony in the next couple of years. God could just give me the winning lottery ticket. He could. But, but money, at least as I've seen it in my small sample size of life, money doesn't make you a different person. It highlights the best and the worst traits of who you already are today. If you're a monster and you get a bunch of money, you'll just be a rich monster. If you're generous, you get a bunch of money, you'll be rich, generous. And I know that many of us may think, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd be happier, I wouldn't worry. What if this is the moment where where Jesus is trying to take you from being part of a faithless generation and make you a faith-filled generation? And not even really faith-filled, just to have a, a little bit of faith. The Father says it, I believe! Help my unbelief. If you don't have unbelief or you don't see unbelief in your life, you haven't begun to connect the dots yet. Every time you worry, every time you lust, every time you cheat, every time you lie, it's a moment where you're saying, I don't trust that God is going to provide enough, give enough, that he is enough, that he's made me enough. You're not having faith in who God is and who he saved you to be. The account of this story in the book of Matthew ties it to the old mustard seed parable. If you've got the faith of a mustard seed, he says at the end of this story in Matthew, you can move mountains. Just so you know, that's a Canadian penny because we are an inclusive church. That's a mustard seed, that little thing over there. Mustard seed, penny. This father had mustard seed faith, apparently, because he said, I believe Help my unbelief. He said, I got, a, I got a mountain of unbelief, but I also believe, I'm trying to believe, but I can't get these other thoughts out of my head. That's all that you need. All you need to access the big ifs of God is, an, is honest faith. Well, that's not practical. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? I only need honest faith. Here's what it means. We don't need to think of God as this safe that we are trying to unlock. He is not the safe that we are trying to unlock. The safe are the chambers of our lives where we are constantly looking to other things to save us. We have these little things in our lives. Now, none of you call them hells, but we think of them with that same type of negativity. And I I don't know everyone's hell, but I I pray that you do. I pray that you know what, if you think, what is the worst case scenario in my life? That's a a small hell pocket in your life. Worst case scenario, if this happens, guys, it's over. It's the worst thing that could happen to me. And then we look to things besides Jesus to save us from those micro hells in our life. And every time we do that, every time we look to something else, if you think that If you think that if you just have a little bit more of something or a little bit less of someone, that will make you happier, that's a a type of a savior. You think, for example, in a relationship, some of you think, if I just get out of this relationship, maybe it's a boyfriend-girlfriend, maybe it's a husband-wife, if I have less of this person in my life, I will be better off. That's essentially what like divorce and breakups are. You think that a divorce is your savior, that it will save you from the hell of your marriage. And believe me, I understand that some of you are in probably fairly hellish marriages or relationships. And I I grieve for those of you who have been abused. And that is not right. That is a type of hell on earth. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, manipulation. But I need you to understand that divorce cannot save you. Breaking up cannot save you. Some of you think we use the money one because we live in suburbia. You lose your job. And the Savior is, if I get another job with this number of dollars, then everything will be okay. Unfortunately, that's not a Savior. Could you imagine comparing Jesus to to $90,000? Jesus, how much are you worth to me? $92,000, baby. Because I trust that more than I'm trusting you. Now, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to believe, which is why I love this Father's Prayer. I believe! And I think he just whispered the next part, help my unbelief. 
When you go home today, pray with that honesty and tell God, I, I, don't, I don't believe you. I know that I'm struggling because I'm worrying and I'm, I'm doing all these terrible things. I'm making choices that are leading me into the valley and I'm just arguing with, with this person and that person. Lord, I have got all this doubt, but I want to believe so bad. Can you help me get rid of my doubt? Until you've prayed that prayer, you haven't begun to pray just yet. As soon as the father prayed that, he rebuked the spirit and the boy just fell to the ground as though dead. Sometimes when, when Jesus comes into your life, this is just an on-the-nose metaphor, it will feel like you just died. If you think that coming to Christianity or if somebody peddled to you the slightest version that Jesus is only going to make you wealthy, happy, and good-looking and smart, if someone peddled this to you, it is not true. Jesus, who is the cornerstone of our faith, was stripped of his clothing, beaten and nailed to a cross for people to be gawked at like a sadistic billboard outside of Jerusalem. The disciples died horrendous deaths. People die every day being beheaded, killed, stoned, frozen, alive because of Jesus. Today, this Sunday around the world, there are more Christians gathering in China, where it's not even legal any longer to gather, there are more Christians gathering to worship Jesus in China than there are total Christians in Western, the westernized Europe. That's crazy to me. You know who suffers more? It's not the people in Stuttgart with the 500-year-old cathedrals looming on every corner. The people who have suffered vastly more are the people in China, and not all the time, and and up until recently, there was a friendly climate, and now it's becoming more unfriendly once again. But the suffering has brought something out. And in you, you may be thinking, I really want to get out of the valley. I really want to have the faith of the mustard seed. How long will this go on? And I think that Jesus is answering his own question when he says, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And the answer for Christ is just long enough so that you will believe. I've asked myself all sorts of questions during this process, and I've begun to tell people recently, this doesn't bother me anymore. I love physical therapy now. Um, I go in there and I hoop and holler, but every time I walk in, I think, Lord, I want to make everyone here have a better day because I'm sure these physical therapists just see grumpy person after grumpy person. So I walk in and I come up with these little games. My favorite one is called MJ, um, where where they tell me, okay, make a noise or let me know when it hurts. So each time I go in, I try to choose a different person, and I tell them, I'm going to make a noise that sounds like this person when it hurts. And MJ has been a, a PT favorite over at Cora Physical Therapy off Bloomingdale. So they bend my ankle, and I go, <laughs> And now I've done a couple different voices, so my physical therapist will, will put in requests because I have different therapists every time. They're like, ooh, can you do Elvis? Oh, can you do this person? That person? Can you do animals? I did an animal one day. I have this elephant noise I make, but I don't want to do it into the mic because it's loud. But I'm trying to bring joy to a place where there's grumpiness. And I've thought about this. It doesn't hurt anymore. But what's happened in the midst of this is that I've been alone. And I've been reading and reading, and I've gotten to the bottom of my book pile on my Kindle, so it's a visual book pile, met uh, metaphorical book pile, and I've started reading stupid books. That's how I know it's getting bad. I'm reading books about expanding my memory capacity with uh, speed reading training tools, like all sorts of stupid stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing I'm having an identity crisis. I'm preaching, getting ready for this, but during the week, I'm just like, people are like, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, sorry, can't do it. I'm literally using my crutch as a crutch to not do things. Oh, this is going to the chapel. What can I do? Expect me to peg leg around here? I have the hip of a 90-year-old on this side and the peg leg of a pirate on this side. But it's got me thinking. Lord, what have I been trusting in as my identity? For me, it's been my ability to be a pastor. 
I trust in it. I feel like if I'm a good enough pastor, a faithful enough pastor, then God will love me. And I know that that creeps into all pastors. But what is it for you, the thing that you say, if I just do this, then God will love me? Even if it's a good thing, if you say, if I just read my Bible every day, God will love me. That's not how this works. God loves you because Jesus died for you. And all you need is the smallest amount of faith to unlock the infinite ifs that God in your life can do all things in every situation, in every dark place, in every painful relationship, in the darkest nights. There is nothing that he can't do when you unlock this. To do that, I think, we need to recognize like the Father. Lord, I do believe but I got a whole mess of unbelief I need help with. If you need help figuring what that is in your life, call me. Make a coffee appointment. I need to get out of my house and stop reading nerdy books. Because this is something that I'm passionate about. I've been putting things on the back burner because I know what I want and love to do. And I know what God has called me to do. And I want to help you unlock this in your life. I believe, help my unbelief. I'm with you, fam. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I, God, I rambled today. I went on and on. I'm, I pray that people here, like me, connected to you. Lord, there are so many aspects of life that can make us so insecure and afraid. Lord, what, what would you do we had the faith of a mustard seed. What could you do if we honestly told you that we do believe, but we got a whole mess of unbelief? Help us today, Lord, to be honest with ourselves and with those near us. Help us today to see areas of unbelief in our lives where we depend on something else to save us from these micro-hells that exist, trying to get us to a cheap knockoff version of heaven that's just an easier life in this little realm. Change us. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's kids said, amen, amen, amen.